0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Dave Brooks. If you don't know me, uh, I'm kind of a stranger around here, uh, but uh, no, it's great to be back. I am the, the pastor of Waukee Community Church. If you're visiting with us today, I've been on sabbatical this summer, uh, but this was one time in this, in, during my sabbatical that I wanted to preach. So I put myself on the schedule and here I am. You got me. So uh, I want to encourage you today, grab your Bible. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. We're looking at this Proverbs topically, so we'll be all over. Uh, uh, These scriptures that I'm talking about will all be on the screens as well, but I always love it when people are looking at their Bibles and engaged in the Word of God with me. It has been a great summer for us. As many of you know, we were evicted from our house for seven weeks Why? Uh, we had a bunch of water damage being repaired. So we're home now. And uh, I've been using my sabbatical time to to really engage and enrich in my walk with God. I've had some really sweet time with the Lord. Um, I've been encouraged and recently reflecting on the book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It's a classic work about who God is, uh, about God's person and work. And uh, I've just been very, very blessed by by this time together. My family this week will be driving again uh, up to Canada. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Canada and then out to Rhode Island where we're going to see some friends that Clarissa and I haven't seen since college, which was a few years ago. So we are are excited to do that. And our kids are really excited to get back in the car and drive another 3,000 miles or so. So uh, I'm sure. So I think at the end of the summer, we'll put like 6,500 miles on the car or something like that. So well, it's, it's been really good. All right. Well, today I want to talk about avoiding stupid work. And the topic of work comes up often in Proverbs. One of the problems that I think we have is that we tend to see work as toil or labor. And when we think about this, I, I've had people ask me the question before, what will we do in eternity? It, it kind of sounds boring. And uh, and I would surmise that that's because we have a misunderstanding of what eternity, what paradise will look like, and a misunderstanding of what work is. You see, we've generally got the idea that in heaven, we'll do nothing. It'll be the absence of work. I think a lot of this comes from what the Greeks thought of their concept of their pre-Christian concept of paradise. They called it Elysium, and it was described by Greek classic Greek authors as an island where there's no toil or labor. I think this has transcended into our modern thinking about what heaven is. You can see it all the way back to the Middle Ages. It's starting to creep into our understanding of heaven. Uh, If you look at Dante and who Dante was, you may know about Dante's Inferno and his seven levels of hell or many levels of hell, which is just totally unbiblical. But anyway, we have that. It's stuck with us today. But I want uh, I wanted you to see this, uh, this artist here writing in, uh, painting in 1530 or so, put this painting up to de- try to describe the seven levels or le- multiple levels of what he thought heaven would be like. Now, no- notice what you see in this picture. This was painted in 1530. Clouds. A lot of sitting around and robes, okay? Concept of heaven. A uh, hundred years later, in the, the apotheosis of Ignatius, this picture right here, again, same thing. We see uh, so, some nakedness. I, I don't know where that comes from. I particularly don't know that that'll happen, but uh, clouds and sitting around. Uh, even in our own American Culture. I was just in Washington, D.C. with uh, two of my kids. And uh, if you're in the U.S. Capitol and you look up at the dome, there's the apotheosis of George Washington. And uh, show that next picture here. And that that is on the Capitol of the U.S. Dome. The, The little picture on the right is a zoom in. And again, you can see George Washington portrayed as a Greek god ascended to his divinity on high. And what's he doing on high? Sitting around on the clouds. Like we get this picture all over. And even in a modern painting, I saw this one called lost in paradise. And, uh, it's, it's a more modern painting here. And you can see again, this one was done digitally, but clouds, a lot of sitting around. And so we have this idea that heaven will be a place where there is no work or labor. In fact, nothing to do. One common theme of this is the absence of work. And, you know, if we're sitting around in the clouds, to be honest, sometimes I'm just really tired. And I might be okay with that, sitting around for like the first 200 years or so. But like for all eternity, just sitting there on clouds, like it kind of sounds boring to me. And that's most people think about paradise as a place that has the absence of work. Because we think about work improperly. We think about work as something that is full of toil or labor or misery. Because let's face it, work is hard. But it wasn't meant to be that way. Did you know that you and I were created to work? You were created to work. I remember a friend just told me that he's like, I think about heaven. Please tell me we're going to do something in heaven because I will be totally bored if we're not Um, agreed. Uh, We were not meant to do nothing. In fact, before the fall, before Adam and Eve entered into sin and changed the entire scope of the world in which we live. Before that moment, they were given jobs. Adam and Eve were given jobs to care for the garden, to work in it. They were given jobs. They had purpose. You were created to work. You are working. You will work. Now, the fall made work difficult. Uh, When Adam and Eve sinned, the ground was cursed. Hard, toil, laborsome, difficult, frustrating work entered into the picture. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there are moments at your job that are just frustrating. Frustrating probably more because of the people at your job than the the task itself, right? But they're frustrating, but it wasn't meant to be that way. We were created to work in a beautiful and right way. You were created to work and the fall made things difficult, this curse. But what we often talk about, what Jesus came to do is to reverse the curse, That's the whole idea of the story of the Bible is that Jesus is reversing what Satan did in the fall. And so we can see that even as Jesus is working through us to have his kingdom invade the kingdom of this world, that work is an important part of what we do. That's why in Colossians 3.17, the author says this, whatever you do, Paul says, in word or deed, In work, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you do, every work you do can be done for the glory of God and for kingdom work. Everything you do can be redeemed. You see, the problem is some people think about work merely as a means to survive or to to gain wealth. Relentless pursuit of work is what some people do so that they can gain more stuff and more power. And wealth accumulation is really neither good nor bad. It's what you do with the wealth. But if you work merely for money, you miss something. Some people think about work as something to be avoided, right? Live for the weekends. They dread Monday morning. Or they just avoid work altogether. Um, I have four teenagers. I understand what it's like to avoid work altogether. Uh, It feels like every time I ask them to do something, it's met with, are you serious, dad? So I get it. Some people think work is something to be avoided. Most people don't consider their work eternally significant, but your work is of meaning to the Lord because you were created to work. We believe that The lie sometimes that only pastors or missionaries or gospel-employed people do real work. But the work you do is eternally significant. All work is spiritual. So here's what I want you to know today. As we are going to look through the Proverbs, I want you to know this simple concept. Write it down. Keep it. If you remember one thing, this is it. There is a joy that can be found in work because we were made to work for God's glory. There is a joy... That can be found in work because you and I were made to work for God's glory. So we're in this series avoiding stupid and stupid is simply what I mean here is when we think about stuff incorrectly. When we think about work incorrectly, we engage in stupid work. And the writer of Proverbs is going to help us think correctly about how we should work. So let's see together... As we look through Proverbs and pick out all the Proverbs that talk about work, we're not going to pick them all out, but we're going to pick some of them out today. Let's look at that. Now, I want to remind you before we jump in about the Proverbs. I know that several of our guest speakers have touched on this, but I want to remind you of this because it's important how we think about the Proverbs. The Proverbs are wisdom sayings. The Proverbs are not promises. They are a a snippet to describe how life usually works. So when you look at Proverbs, Kenneth Burke said this, I'll throw the quote up on the board, it's good. Proverbs are a shorthand for situations in life that recur often enough that people feel the need to have a name for them. Like, I I, I love that description of the Proverbs. Like, we, we should put a name to that. That's what the Proverbs are. So we treat Proverbs as not as promises, but as shorthand for, to describe the way life works. This is important when we come to what I think is probably the most famous Proverbs, Proverb 22, 6, train up a child in the way he will go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it, right? If this is a promise, we have some things to answer for. Because if it's a promise, we can reverse engineer it. We can say, and which we're tempted to do, oh, there's a wayward child, well, clearly, that parent did not train up the child in the way they will go. They should go, right? So it's clearly the parent's fault. If this is a promise, you can reverse engineer it. And that is not what it's meant to say. That is not how we're supposed to use the Proverbs. We're supposed to talk about Proverbs the way life normally works, not a promise. And this helps us gain wisdom into this. So what I want to accomplish today is I want to talk about work as we engage with Proverbs that talk about the way life normally works. And I want to engage in this. And I want you to see that no matter what you do, you can do it for God's glory. You were created to work, to do kingdom work. And there is a joy that can be found in work because we were made to work for God's glory. All right. So we're going to avoid stupid work. How do we do it? We're going to do it two ways. We're going to work hard and we're going to work smart. I have seven points for you today. This is because I haven't been in the pulpit for like, you know, six weeks. So I got a lot of points to make up. So I have seven things that I want to talk about working hard or working smart. And uh, as we engage with this, um, I, I want you to understand, first of all, a few things about working hard. Um, this sounds miserable, but I don 't mean like digging ditches hard, although that is hard and toilsome. Um, but what i 'm talking about rather is being being steady and steadfast and diligent in our work. We 're working hard, we 're not being lazy, we 're engaging. And so I want to talk a few ways about being hard. The first thing I want you to know is work hard, be motivated. Work hard, be motivated. You can see Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen the one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. So the writer is saying here, do what needs to be done, then pursue leisure. First of all, we work hard, we're motivated to work hard. Second of all, we pursue leisure. Now, the problem is, as even as Americans, We sometimes get this idea turned around. We pursue leisure first, or we work for leisure. Uh, It's interesting. We live in this culture fixated on leisure. Um, Electronic leisure has inundated everything. It's inundated everything. We take these things to bed with us. Our faces globe as we fall asleep. We wake up in the morning and we grab these things. And again, our faces are aglow with electronic buzzing as we engage with these things. They're everywhere. And really Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, all these social medias, the ones that I don't even know about. They're a way of leisure. We're engaging in leisure. Netflix. We're engaging in leisure. In fact, many of us work solely so that we can have leisure. Um, now you say, well, wait a minute. Americans are busier than we've ever been before. And, and that might be true. There is a busyness to us, but we're busy for leisure. Uh, listen to what researcher Laura Vanderkam found out. She did some uh, research on leisure time, and she found out that Americans have lots of leisure time. She says, our, our bounteous sleep isn't the only surprise. And so, in other words, she's talking about how uh, we maybe sleep more than everyone thinks we sleep. But the average American logs 5.26 hours a day of leisure activities. TV, relaxing, socializing, etc. By contrast, the average American does work and work-related activities just 3.46 hours a day on the average. you What? Wait, we, leisure activities, the average five hours a day? Work, the average three hours a day? What is that about? Well, listen, she says, of course, the average stems partly from people enjoying their golden years, right, of retirement and, and people who are uh, not old enough to work. But even full-time workers, let's, let's just engage with those of us who work full-time, if you average it out, over seven days a week, four hours a week of leisure activities a day, on the average, full-time workers. Those who are employed and have kids younger than six, me, we score 3.44 hours of leisure or just over 24 hours a week. Americans have a lot of leisure time. No matter how busy you think you are, sometimes instead of working first and then finding leisure, we get it all backwards. We let our motivation be leisure. Leisure is important. God rested on the seventh day. But leisure shouldn't drive us. Many of you live for whatever you're binge watching on Netflix. Okay, let's just point the finger this way, all right? We we binge watch something. We, We live for whatever leisure activity we're engaged in. But leisure shouldn't drive us. You know, it's easy to pick on teenagers because we think of them as video game addicts. But we all chase fantasy daydreaming about the way life could be. And fantasy is fun from time to time. It's restful. It's important. Leisure is important. But work is grounded in reality. And our motivation should be to work because we were created to work rightly. There's a joy that is found in work when we work for God's glory. And so the first thing we need to do is work hard by checking our motivation. What is our motivation for leisure? Is it leisure itself or is it the kingdom of God, the work that we can do? Well, that's convicting. Okay, well, but I'm just talking to myself now. You're just listening. Um, second thing, I have seven points today. The first act, act of working hard is being motivated. The second part of working hard here that I want to talk about is being disciplined. Being disciplined. Proverbs 20:13 says, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes. And you'll have plenty of bread. Okay, you need to understand some cultural context here that we won't get reading this proverb immediately. In the ancient Near East, that, that uh, the author of Proverbs is writing to his audience, food for the day was not guaranteed. You and I, when we wake up, most likely in our house, we have enough food, canned food, frozen food, to survive for that day if we don't make it to the grocery store, Right? Uh, this was not the case in the ancient Near East. The person had to wake up and get enough money, go out and find a day labor job to earn enough money so that they could in turn buy food for the day. So the, here's the problem. the when you're When you're an employer hiring day laborers, you want to start early. Those who get up early... Get the good day laborer jobs. If you slept in in the ancient Near East, you know, you woke up, oh, three, four hours after the sun rose, wandered out, tried to find a day laborer job. The good jobs were all gone. You might not even find something for the day. So the author of Proverbs is saying, listen, don't be lazy or you'll be poor. Get up, get a job and you'll have plenty of bread. See, this is about choosing to do what is good in the long run rather than what feels good for the moment. Sleep to an ancient Near Eastern laborer would feel really good. I like sleep. It's good for the moment. But what's good in the long run is going and getting that job for the day so you can provide for your family. So the short-term game is extra sleep. The long-term loss is fewer hours to work. I mean, you and I get this principle, right? Pursue things that have long-term benefit rather than short-term benefit. Oh, short-term benefit is fun. So uh, occasionally my wife and I will go out to eat and uh, I love onion rings. I love them. I love especially the real thin stringy ones that when you pick them up, the grease is dripping off them. Okay, I love them. I love them. You may gross out at that. I love that. I'll smother them in ketchup and eat them. And every time we go out to eat, my wife says, Dave, I'm just going to remind you, you're going to regret that. Stop talking to me. That's what I say. You know, let me have my onion rings and short term game. They are delicious. Long term, about six hours later, they are not fun at all. I regret them. I hate it. I feel miserable and horrible. But for that short term gain, I loved it. You and I do this all the time. You do it all the time. We're not disciplined. We pursue what short-term feels good. Discipline carries the idea of forcing yourself to not pick what just feels good in the short-term, but what's good in the long-term. Apply this to just about every single area of your life. Don't pursue what's short-term. Pursue what's long-term. There's another proverb that talks about being disciplined. I love this one. The author of Proverbs is so creative. As a door turns on its hinges... So a sluggard turns on his bed. Okay, so a sluggard is a lazy person who doesn't go out and work. I love this, this imagery of a sluggard laying in bed, flipping over and over, turning and turning because he should get out of bed and go to work, but it's better to just flip over in bed for a long time. Uh, we have a closet door in our house that it's a creaky door. And uh, and so it's right next to our bedroom. And so whenever if I get up before my wife in the morning, I got an early meeting or something and I'm out the door really early, maybe before the sun rises, uh, you know, that door to my closet will go and open as I go in and then I'll come back and it'll creak again. And then uh, inevitably I forgot something. So I got to go back in the closet. That happens like four times. Clarissa's going, seriously, Dave, you are going to drive me crazy. Like, Sorry, babe. That's the imagery here. There's someone who's flipping on their bed, creaking over and over and over because they don't want to get out of bed. Being disciplined, pursuing what's better long-term than short-term. This, pro, this imagery is so great. It continues. You, you can just picture someone in this. Look at the next proverb about a sluggard here. This might be my favorite proverb in the entire Bible. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. All right. Can you see, I love food, right? Can you see this guy sitting here at the table? He's got his food. He puts the dish in the, in, he puts a spoon in the dish and he's going to lift it to his mouth. But he's like, oh, that's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, that like, that's this far. And I have to lift that all all the way up to my mouth, it's not worth it. I'm not even going to do it. That's a slugger. Now, of course, the uh, the author of Proverbs is using hyperbole here, but to describe someone who's just simply lazy, pursuing what's good short-term and not long-term. Being disciplined, my friends, is how we work because we pursue what is better long-term than what is good for short-term. And when we do this, we find a joy in work because again, we were made to work for God's glory. Third thing I want to tell you about, not only should we work hard by being motivated and work hard by being disciplined, thirdly, we should work hard by being honest. Honest. A greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. The idea of the Proverbs here is that someone who is greedy pursuing only monetary gain won't mind being dishonest and trimming corners. But if you hate doing that, if you hate accepting a bribe, there is life in that. I was, uh, I was talking to someone recently uh, about the insurance industry, and he was talking to an insurance agent that was willing to lie to get money or business for his company. You and I have all run across salespeople like that that they looked you in the eye and you found it out weeks, months, years later that they looked you in the eye and lied to you to get your business. It's dishonest. That's not the way we should work. There is a joy that can be found in work, doing it God's way, working honest. Because honesty, when we work, reflects to this world the character of God. When you work hard by being honest in your job, when you don't take a bribe, when you don't cut corners, when you do things above board, even tiny little things, you represent God to the world around you. Paul says, we're, we are his ambassadors. You represent God and your company. A few years ago, I had a guy who came to my house to fix my garage door. The garage door wasn't going up and down. I don't know. Things flew apart and it wasn't working right. And so he came in and... Uh, And I I, uh, was away and I came home and he was already working in my garage when I got home. And so I walk in, I'm not kidding you, I walk in and the guy looks at me. I, I was wearing my Bears hat, you know, go Bears. I had my Bears hat on. I walk in the garage and he goes, hmm, can't say I like your hat. First thing out of his mouth, right? I'm like... Okay, you must love the Packers or something crazy like that. Anyway, and then he says, uh, uh, like, about five minutes later, I, I have a bunch of shelving in my garage to keep stuff. And he goes, can't say I like your shelving, okay? Uh, and then he says, can't say I like your garage door itself. It's really cheap. And then he goes, <laughs> you know, he keeps saying this stuff to me, and that's all the words out of his mouth. And I just wanted to say, well, I can't say I like you very much. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I didn't say it, but I wanted to. And I thought the company, I won't tell you the name of the company, but the company that this guy worked for, he left a terrible taste in my mouth for that company. He represented his company. When you go to work, yes, you represent your company, but you represent Jesus Christ in how you work. So working honest is important. Honesty is part of hard work. It's not just enough to work hard, though. We also need to work smart. We work hard, but we also work smart. And, and if we work hard by being motivated and disciplined and honest, we work smart. And the fourth thing I want you to know today is by blessing those you love. You work smart by blessing those you love. Proverbs eleven twenty nine: he who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind. And the fool will be servant to the wise. If you ignore your family for work, you bring trouble on your family, on those you love. We need to have this good balance in our life, okay? This good balance of work so that we bless those we love. It's important. Work too little and you set a bad example for your children or for your extended family or for uh, work too much and you're not around for your family. In the ancient Near East, the, the way a young man would learn his trade was by going to work with his father. When that boy was old enough to run around, he would go to work with his dad. He would start learning the trade as young as six, seven, eight years old probably. He'd be in the shop learning the trade from his dad. That's how work happened. Every worker in, in Jewish culture was raised this way. You learn the trade from your family. Whatever trade your family did, that's what you did. You learned it. Consequently, boys in particular spent tons of time with their dad. Girls likewise spent tons of time with their mom. Our culture doesn't work like that anymore. You know, we don't take our kids to work with us and that's just the way our culture is. So what we have to do is intentionally create a balance so that our work blesses those we love, whether you're a man or a woman, husband or a wife, whether you're singled, whether you're married, whether, whether you're retired or not yet old enough to work, it doesn't matter. You have to think about blessing your family with the way you work by setting a good example by working hard and smart about how you balance this and by uh, not working so much that you ignore your family. We keep our priorities and we bless those we love. And that's leading into the fifth thing. The next way that we work smart is to keep proper priorities because there's a joy that was found in work. You and I were made to work for God's glory. So we work smart by blessing those we love. We work smart by keeping our priorities. Don't wear yourself out to get rich, the text says. Stop giving your attention to it. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. Okay, the idea here is that work is about more than wealth. Adam and Eve, when they were given a job to do, their wealth had nothing to do with it. Uh, We see God working hard at creation, but there's this balance because on the seventh day he rested he keep, we keep our priorities straight when we remember that work just isn't about money. And this is how we work smart. When we pursue only money, we get our priorities out of whack. And the pro, the writer of the proverb says it's fleeting. Like that dream of pursuing money will make wings for itself and, and fly away. In other words you want to pursue only money, guess what? You will never have enough. The goal of pursuing money is that one day I will have enough money to be completely independent and worry-free. If you talk to the wealthiest people in our country, you will find that they are not living worry-free. In fact, they have more worry and weight and concern than you and I could ever imagine. The dream of having enough so you don't have to worry is fleeting. That dream will sprout wings and fly away. Occasionally, um, some, something about my vision, occasionally I'll get like a, a little, what looks like a, a, little, a little curve in my vision, like a, a little, almost like a little fiber of some sort in my vision. And it's never straight in the middle. It's always off to the side. And so I always am amazed by this. It doesn't last long, but I'm always amazed. By it. I always want to look at it. You ever know, like it's off here in your peripheral vision. And I always want to look at it. And as soon as I move my eyes to look at it, it moves away. I can never get it in the center. I'm like, you know, you see me doing this all the time. Like what, what is wrong with him? Right. It's fleeting. As soon as I think I've got it and I can center on it, it goes away. The pursuit of wealth is like that. You will never have enough. You will never work enough hours or gain enough leverage to have enough money or power. You will always want more security. You will always want more savings. You will always want more stuff and you will never attain what you're searching for. When we view work as just a means of wealth, we do not keep our priorities in check. When we view work as God's ordained task, with which we can have kingdom impact, when we view work this way, that's how we keep our priorities in check because there is a joy that can be found in work. One of the ways we do this is we are generous. One of the ways we keep our priorities straight is when we give our money away. If you are pursuing work to pursue wealth, and you realize that your priorities are out of whack, you know how to get your priorities right? The first way you do is you just give your money away. Give it away. You're pursuing security only? Give your money away. You're pursuing leisure for what the, you need money to do leisure? Give it away. If you realize your priorities are out of whack, give your money away. And I'm not saying sell everything you have and go live a tent or in a van down by the river. Thank you, Chris Farley. Uh, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sh- start being generous. When, when you write a check, when you hand someone money, when you get online and donate, when you give your money away, you, you release the grip that your mixed-up priorities have on your life. That's how you work smart, by keeping your priorities in check. The, the sixth way I want to talk about uh, working hard and smart is by working smart and planning ahead. There's this joy that can be found in work because you were made to work for God's glory. We do this then by working smart, by planning ahead. Look at what it says in, in 24. The slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time, he looks and there is nothing. Okay, we're all from Iowa. And even if you're like me who grew up in Des Moines and didn't know a thing about farming, John Mead is, uh, I know everything I know about farming from John Mead, which is like this much, okay? Uh, John knows a lot. So every time I have a farming question, I ask him. Um, Here's the deal. I do know this. If I were to get, I don't know, 20 acres and, you know, and go out there and be excited because I was going to be able to sell a crop at the end. And if I get it in the spring and I don't do anything and I get to November and I're ready to harvest and I look in there, I only got a field of weeds I know enough to know that if you want to plant a crop, if you want to harvest a crop, you have to plant a crop. It doesn't just magically happen, there's work, there's planning ahead. So many times people get paid and they wonder where their money went. Have you ever had this experience? The paycheck gets direct deposited in your account and like three days later, you're like, I got $57 left or $3 left. Where did it all go? How did that happen? It's because you failed to plan ahead. You should have a plan for your money before you get it. So many times people do this, but rather one of the the, uh, simple concepts that I've learned over the years is is to have uh, some money saved up. So that when all those expenses I wasn't planning on happened, I got some money to pay for that. Which means I better chart a course for every paycheck before it comes in. So I know where every dollar is going or it will disappear. You want to work smart means planning ahead, knowing what happens. Our culture says, you see, uh, you need this now. You need. And the reality is you need very little. Listen to Proverbs 21. I don't have it on the board, but just listen to this. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish man devours all he has. You want to work smart by planning ahead? Live on less and save money. Our culture says you need it now, but you don't. You need shelter, food, clothing, and transportation. That's probably really it. All you need in life um you need very little but our culture the world in which you live needs to sell you something so they want you to hear something very different and so what they want you to think about is not what you need but how much you saved you ever go to the store and you buy something and at the bottom if your receipt if you look at this most stores do this now your total that you paid is in a very small font And then below that are giant words that say, you saved $47 and 26 cents. That's what's printed giantly because you can go home and you go, look what I saved. Never mind the fact that you just spent $650. You saved $46, right? Because it's not about what you need. It's about this value of of saving. Uh, I'm a terrible father husband, but Clarissa used to come home early in our marriage and she would bring on their and She goes, I just saved, you know, $72. I'm so such a savvy shopper. And I'm good. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Burst her bubble, right? How much you spend. And then I would say over and over again, It's not how much you save, it's how much you spend. I have four teenagers now, right? Shopping is like this language that I don't understand at all. And they all speak it, right? And they know better than to tell me how much they saved. I don't care how much you saved. How much did you spend? And more boy, did you plan for it? Or did you just go out and be impulsive? You want to work smart? You have to plan ahead. You have to plan ahead not how much you save friends it's what you spend and did you have a plan for it the last thing i want to talk about is back in the work hard category we've talked about working hard and working smart the last thing i want you to know about today is to work hard by being diligent it really defines working hard there is a joy that can be found in work because we were made to work for god's glory look at proverbs ten twenty six: like vinegar to the teeth And smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. I have never rubbed vinegar on my teeth. Anyone ever done that? I've never done that. Apparently, people in the ancient Near East had, I don't know why, but it doesn't sound pleasant. All right? I have got smoke in my eyes, though, and I do know what that's like. In fact, we usually do a a bonfire when it's not 97 degrees outside, and we have a fire pit at our house. I love it. And uh, inevitably, I feel like I choose the seat that the smoke goes to, right? I know you all experience this. In fact, my kids have this thing. I don't understand where this came from, but since they were little, the smoke gets in their eyes, and, and they say, what do you say? I hate bunnies? I, they, they're yelling, I hate bunnies, right? Is that it? I hate bunnies. Don't even ask me why they say that. But they say, I hate bunnies. they run around like, well, what's so bad about bunnies? You know, poor bunnies. Like I get cats. If you gonna say, I hate cats, that makes sense to me. But bunnies, I don't get that. All right. Anyway, when you get that smoke in your eyes, it is not a great feeling. It's miserable and you just want to run away from it. That is the point that the writer of Proverbs is making to us. If you send a sluggard to someone, That sluggard who is lazy is going to be like smoking your eyes. I once had an employee who worked for me years ago. She would always ask me, can I go home now? Can I go home now? I'm like working my tail off. There's so much work to be done. I could see where everywhere I turn my head, I can see work that needs to be done. And she wants to go home. No, you can't go home. Get to work. She was like smoking. Every time she asked me that, just burn my eyes. Like, no. Be diligent. Imagine that you're sitting as a boss and you're interviewing prospective employees. And this prospective employee looks at you and says, okay, can you just tell me right now, what's the absolute minimum I have to do to keep my job? (laughs) You don't want to hire that person, right? It's like smoke in the eyes. You will regret it. Be diligent, set your mind to something and do it well. Own your job or you'll be smoke in the eyes of your boss or to the customer whom you're serving. Ultimately, you're doing work for God. So work hard, work smart, because what you're doing is not just for you. What you're doing matters significantly for the kingdom of God. You were made to work. You were not meant for a paycheck. You were made to work for God's glory. And there's a joy in that. And when you work, you participate in the reversing of the curse. Did you know that? When you work smart and work hard, you participate in the reversing of the curse. The curse of sin was laborsome, toil, miserable, hard work. When you work hard and smart, you reverse this and are part of bringing in the kingdom of God here. My first major job I ever had, first job I ever had was shredding paper for my dad. Um, that, that was hilarious. I'd go at night and shove individual pieces of paper into a shredder. It's the kind of job you give a 14-year-old, right? Uh, second job I had was working at a grocery store and uh, started by bagging and putting back when people drove up for their groceries, putting them in their car, and then I eventually made it up to checker. I think checking groceries was the worst job I have ever had, and here's why. I like the feeling of accomplishing things. And so a person would come through my line and I would check them out and I would feel like I got something accomplished and then there'd be another person in the line. So I'd check them out and get them off and then there was another person. So I'd go faster, you know? I'm like, I'm, like, I'm gonna get through this job and I'm throwing their eggs down and crushing their bread, but I got it done in like 37 seconds flat and then there was another person there. I'm like, I can't believe, am I ever going to finish the job? And the answer is no, you are not, right? And, and that's sometimes what we feel like in this world, is that the work we do, we're never going to get it done. And you might feel like you're not making any difference. Um, try picking up the house after having six kids in the house, right? Like, I, I feel like Clarissa and I never finish cleaning, like, you know, that moment at 1030 last night when the kitchen was spotless and all the, the two little ones were in bed and, and, and my teenagers were off in their rooms getting ready for the night. And I looked around and the kitchen was clean. I was like, yes. And then I know in the morning it is going to be totally destroyed. And sometimes it's so incredibly frustrating because we feel like the work never ends. But you need to know that your labor is not in vain. It matters for the kingdom. In raising kids, i am just close with this example. Sometimes I wonder when I'm working hard and Clarissa and I are working so hard to, to get our house clean and she cleans like 27,000 times more than I do. And when we're working hard and feeling like this labor is in vain and what good does it do? Uh, sometimes there's things that happen in our work that we don't see the eternal outcome of or the long-term outcome of. I will never forget one of the first time one of my older girls went to babysit. She was just old enough to, to start this realm of babysitting. So she had like a two and a half hour babysitting gig. And it was just down in our neighborhood. And, and so we you know, made sure she got off and got her job right. And the next day I checked in with the parents. And how, how did she do? Did she do a good job? And she goes, you're not going to believe this. What? I came home. My kitchen was Spotless. She cleaned the entire kitchen after the kids went to bed, and I was like, "Well, I I wish you'd do that at my house." (laughs) (laughs) But somewhere along the line, she had learned that this is what you do. It matters, friends. Your work has an eternal significance, and you may not see it. You may not see it now but someday you will. You will stand in eternity and God will tell you, well done, my good and faithful servant, because your work was not in vain. What you do matters. There is this joy that is found in work. You know, God is the author of work. He's the one who did it. We see it right from the beginning, Genesis chapter one, he worked and he worked well. We want to worship this God who works well and model it and emulate it. I'm going to pray, our worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing a song that focuses on this. Heavenly Father, we come to you today grateful that you've given us work. We don't always like it, Lord, honestly. It's hard. We come to it frustrated and but we want to work well. We don't want to work stupid. We want to work hard, and we want to work smart. Because our labor matters for the kingdom of God. And so today, would you encourage us tomorrow, as many of us head back to work, would you encourage us that our labor is not in vain? In Jesus' name, amen.